0: Man, isn't that incredible? 10,000. Meals. In fact, over 10,000 meals now given out, and probably the coolest part to me about that story is the 10,000th meal was given out by two of our students in Rev Students. Come on, somebody. Let's give it up for that, and for those of you that have been serving uh, and doing our summer lunches with Must Ministries, man, it's just been incredible, and that's what's been amazing to see during this crazy season that we have been in. Uh, We're so grateful for technology and how we can gather online. On Sundays with our online gatherings and also Wednesdays with Ref students as well. And so, if you're not watching that and you are a student, make sure you're getting plugged in with that as well. But it's just been amazing to see how we've had opportunities also to serve and live life on mission uh, in person. And and so many opportunities that 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 has happened over the last five months. And, And that's just the church that we are, and that's the church that we want to continue to be. We want everybody. In Revolution Church to live life on mission. And sometimes that looks like passing out a lunch with an outreach partner. Sometimes that just looks like being a neighbor, to neighbor those people around you, being a good Samaritan to them and living life on mission. And so we always love to highlight those stories like that just to give you a glimpse of all that God is doing here within our church. And so, man, that is just so incredible. Now, if you got a Bible, we're going to be doing the very last verse in Romans this week. Uh, in fact, this is the 52nd week that we have been in Romans, and so we have done 52 weeks now. And I got to be honest with you, I'm a little sad uh, because I have enjoyed this. I hope you have enjoyed this as well. And it's really been incredible because the book of Romans, again, has been called Paul's greatest work. It's definitely his longest letter, which is, again, why it's first, but it's one of the greatest letters ever written because of how it describes not only what the gospel is, but then our response to it. And so we're going to dig in today just one sentence, all right? Verse 27 It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to preach any shorter. In fact, it's going to be tough to get a message in on one sentence, even under 35 minutes, but we're going to dig in again, and then for the next two weeks, I'm going to do a recap of the entire book of Romans, just because, honestly, I'm not ready to let it go yet. All right, I got issues. All right, so we're going to hit the last verse today, and then the next two weeks, we are going to recap Romans, and then... After that, we'll start a brand new series that we're really, really excited about, talking about wrestling with God, which I think is going to be a really, really good series for us as we have been in this wrestle of 2020. And so today we're going to look at Romans chapter 16, verse 27, and as always, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together, all right? Father, we ask that you would move mightily in our midst. God, thank you for technology and how we can use the tools that you have blessed us with to further the mission of the gospel through the preaching of your word. And as always, God, I pray that you would help me, that you would fill me with your spirit, God, to communicate this in a way that is faithful and that honors you. And God, I pray that all of us, as we hear this, that you would open our eyes and you would open our ears to see and to hear what we cannot see without you. And so, God, as we wrap this series up, this last verse today, God, I pray that you would speak to us, because it is one sentence, but it is huge. And so, God, I pray that you would use it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I've been doing for the last several weeks, I'm going to read these three verses of verse 25 through 27, because it's one long sentence, and then we're going to dig in just to verse 27, all right? So let's read this whole section, which is called the doxology again. It says, now to him who is able, now to him who is able, talking about God, to strengthen you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. But has now been disclosed, and through the pro- prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith that we talked about last week. To, and here's what we're gonna focus in on this week to the only wise God. Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Or say amen with me, come on. Amen. We're going to wrap that up at the end with that word because he is amening not just what he said in this section, but the entire letter. And so we have to remember in this section, again, this doxology, which I'll dig into that word uh, as we get into this, is praising God. It is glorifying God, or as we sang today, magnifying God. And that's what this section is about. Paul is calling our attention again back to who is the one who is able And I've been trying to make the argument, in fact, I say this often, we want life and the the center of the universe to be God. We don't want to be the center because if we're the center, then it's on us and we're not able. And so it's always to him who is able. And there's another verse that I thought about that starts this exact same way. In fact, ends kind of the same way. I don't have it on the screen. I'm just going to read it here for you because I think it really gets at this heart again. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21 Paul says, same guy, now to him who is able, he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church. That's what we're going to talk about this week. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So again, reminding ourselves who it's to it's to him. And the reason why I'm emphasizing that, again, because he says that in verse 25, and now he's coming back to that in verse 27. And in verse 27, it's, again, it's one sentence, but I'm going to kind of break it out into three parts. All right, so we're going to look at this one sentence, this one verse, and we're going to examine the three parts of it. So let's look back in. Let's zoom in on verse 27, and it sounds like this. He says, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. So the first part there is to the only wise God. To him. Who is him? He's the only wise God. Now let's break those words down. The word there, only, is the Greek word monos. We are very familiar with that word in English because we brought it over into English and it means one. And so we use words like monotheism, which is a category of religious, kind of how we break down different religious groups. And so when we think of monotheism, the phrase there, monotheism, means one God. And the category, religiously speaking, uh, if you're looking at world religions, the category of monotheistic religions or faiths, there are three, primarily the largest faiths in the world, monotheistic are... Christianity, of which obviously that's who we are, Judaism, and then Islam. And the idea is, as those three faith systems are a system that is built upon, there's one God, not multiple gods, not multiple creators. There's one creator, there's one God, monotheistic, as opposed to polytheistic, which are more Eastern religions, where it is the idea of there's all kinds of gods. So this word here only is that word, monos, one. Now, we'll get into this more as we break this verse down, but obviously as Christians, we believe there is one God, one creator. Now, Christianity, this monotheistic religion, is obviously different than Islam, even though they are both built on this idea of a monotheistic faith. Now, as believers in Jesus, we wholeheartedly reject the God of Islam. It's a completely different faith system, a completely different belief system. And so even though they're both monotheistic, they're not the same God. Now, with Judaism, obviously, we're not talking about a completely different God. We're not even talking about an Old Testament God and a New Testament God, as sometimes it is referred to. We're talking about the same God, but when we talk about Judaism, we are talking about the same biblical God that obviously the entire Old Testament tells us about, but the primary difference between Judaism and Christianity is the understanding that God became flesh and dwelt among us in Christ, and that is the defining difference. And so you can understand the concept of monotheism, one God. These three major world religions have the belief that there's only one. And that is what we believe. And that is what Paul's saying the only, the mono wise God. Not only is he one, he also says, or there's one, Paul says, he's wise. And this is what sets him apart he's wise. That's the Greek word, sophos, where we get our, even the name Sophia. And the idea of wisdom is that God is all knowing. He's all knowing. I, I like some of these ideas. I'm just going to read them to you. Wise in a philosophic sense is someone who forms the best plans and using the best means for their execution. So when we talk about God is wise, we're saying he's the one with the best plans, the best ideas, and he has the best means to bring those about. In a practical sense, wisdom is one who in action is governed by piety and integrity. And what that means is not only does God have the best plans, not only does God bring it about through the best possible means, but he does all of that with character and integrity. And interestingly enough, as I've said many, many times, integrity or integration is our word for 2020. And the reason why that's so important is because what I want you to see is is what God is, is also what he is forming us into. He is the only wise God. And so God, and we'll get into this more in just a little bit about how that happens, but God is bringing us into wisdom. And so wisdom is ultimately about having the best plans, the best possible means to execute those plans, and doing all of that with integrity. And so we as believers talk a lot about God's will. Let me say it to you like this. God's will... Is for you to be wise. And wisdom, as we know, is different than knowledge. We may know something, but we may not apply it. Wisdom is applied plans with integrity over time, proving that your way was right. And so what Paul is, I think, trying to call our attention to, because think about it like this. He could have said the only, and used all kinds of adjectives right there, the only loving God the only faithful God, the only compassionate God. But he said the only wise God. Why? Because there is no one who ever has existed or will exist that has more wisdom than God. Now, why is that so important for us in 2020? Because, and I've said this often, have our plans been executed to the best possible ability through the best possible means? No. In fact, we make a plan and then it changes. My new favorite cartoon, and by favorite, I mean, I don't really like it, but it's true, is is a picture of a husband and wife, and he says to her, are we talking about the new normal from an hour ago or the now new new normal? Right? That's what life is right now. And so I don't know about you, but what I need to be reminded of is there's him who's able because he's wise. He's able to strengthen me in you. He's able to work out, again, the mystery of his plan through our misery because he's wise. He knows how to bring about the best possible plans through the best possible means, and he'll do it with integrity. He's the only wise and then he says this, God, which is the word theos. Now, for not trying to confuse you, but, but when I say the word God and, and I, I want to say something, but it's going to sound like I'm going to contradict myself from what I just said 10 minutes ago. The, the Greek word here, God, is theos. Now, when we hear the word God in English... We only think of one person. Again, monotheistic. There's only one God. And so it sounds contradictory for us to say that there are other gods. Now, if you were here at the beginning of the year, we detailed some of this in the series when we were talking about Abide, how there are other spiritual beings. There are other supernatural. The Hebrew word there is Elohim. There are others we would call little g-gods, And here's why I'm delineating this for you. Because when we talk about the only wise God, obviously you'll see it is capital G. There are other supernatural beings that God himself created. He created. I'll show you that when we wrap this up. There are other supernatural beings that have power. And those supernatural beings have power. Again, we would think about them as angels, or demons, which is not necessarily wrong, but it's just not complete. Because there are other, and I would argue the other religious systems on the planet are controlled and influenced and empowered by other supernatural beings who have power. So here's why I'm saying this. There are supernatural entity entities behind every nation on earth, and you and I can worship them and follow them, and they're behind all the world systems. This is why all the way back in Daniel, Daniel talked about the Prince of Persia and the Prince of Greece and the fights that they were having in the supernatural realm. Why is that important? Because our world isn't first and foremost natural. It isn't first and foremost physical. The spiritual was first and then came the physical. You see this in Jesus, he exists, as a spirit and has for all humanity, but he wasn't in physical form for all humanity. The physical followed the spiritual, the same way in creation. The physical followed the spiritual. Why is that important? Because there are other supernatural influences who want to influence you for you to follow them, but here's where I'm trying to caution you. They're not wise. They're not wise. They're not able. And so when Paul is wrapping this up and he says, the only wise God, what he's delineating here is there are other supernatural beings who want to influence you, who want you to glorify and worship them forever. We'll get to the second part, but there's only one wise one. There's only one thing to think about is there's only, there are other spirits, but there's only one Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, God himself, is wise, and it's he is able. Now, let's look at the second part of the sentence. The only wise God, look back at it, be glory forevermore. The only wise God, be glory forevermore. Now, Paul's calling our attention not only to the fact that there's only one wise God, there's only one supernatural, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent God. And so to him, glory forevermore belongs. Be glory forevermore. Now that word there, glory, I said this a few weeks ago, is the Greek word doxa. Again, when we say, in your Bible you may have the heading doxology, that word doxa is the Greek word Glory. And the word doxa can mean all kinds of things. Listen to them. Some of the words, splendor, glory, brightness, shining, radiance, amazing might, demonstration of power, praise, speak words of honor and glory, honor, give an assessment of status, greatness, the state of being wonderful. So what Paul is doing is he's saying there's only one wise God and we should glorify him. Glorify, give glory, status, praise. We would now say, worship him. But the problem a lot of times is we think worship is singing. Now, don't misunderstand me. Singing is a form of worship. When we sing, this is why we sing every week, just like we did this week. We're magnifying, we're glorifying God. That is good and right to do because we are ascribing to him attributes of who he is. We are glorifying him. But the sum total of worship or glorifying God is not singing. It's just one way in which we worship God. And so the primary way in which we glorify God is not only recognizing that he is the only wise one, and we acknowledge that, but we reorient our life around him. And so everything is worship. My singing, my serving, my giving, my driving, my sleeping, my eating, my marriage, everything. How is that? Well, it goes back to what I said last week. When we obey his commands. This is why Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Why? Because our obedience to his commands shows that we agree that he's the only wise one. Because if he's the wise one, then why would he give us commands that are dumb? He wouldn't. So he gives us commands because he's the wise one. And when we obey him, we are glorifying him. Now, here's a key thing that I want to point out here. Because a lot of times we can just think of like glorifying God as this kind of stale thing. But I want you to understand God created you to glorify him. When I say glorify him, what I'm saying, he created you to enjoy all that he is forevermore. He created you to enjoy him. And that's why I said last week, which may have been a foreign thought to you, to think that his commands are for your joy. Let me say it to you like this. God didn't create you and me to just sit back and be miserable about who he is. In fact, misery only entered the world when we turned away from enjoying him and trying to enjoy what he created. And so I want you to understand something. In fact, I'm gonna give it to you in a couple points, if you will. And if you're familiar with theology at all, you might be familiar with something called the Westminster, Westminster sorry, shorter catechism, and basically what that is, a big theological phrase of a summation of all our theological beliefs. And I would highly recommend that you look through that if you never have, but the very first part of that asks, what is the chief end of man? So I'm gonna give that to you, all right? Here's the question, and I have it on the screen. What is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God. And to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, think about it like this. Because if you're anything like me and you grew up in, well, I didn't grow up in church, but I've been in church now for almost 30 years. But when I got into church, and this is what I was talking about, if if you're anything like me, not very many people connected glorifying God with enjoyment. Not very many people connected those two, and when they spoke about the commandments commandments of God, it was definitely not said in such a way that if I obeyed them, I would actually have more joy, not less, but it's interesting to me that this document, hundreds of years old, is saying the chief end of man, which means the primary reason that you and I were created was to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, it's a great statement, but one of my heroes in the faith, who's still pastoring today, a guy named John Piper, took that phrase and rephrased it and actually said it, I think, in a better way, because he connected these two things of glorifying God and enjoying him. So I'm going to give you another slide here, and I'm going to... The same phrase, but a slight twist. Look at this. What is the chief end of man? Question. Answer. Answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God, that's the same, now here's the change, by enjoying him forever. Not glorify God and enjoy him forever, he connects them by saying this, how do I glorify God? By enjoying him. So when I enjoy God, when I enjoy God's commands, when I enjoy God's wisdom, I am glorifying him. His phrase, and he's rather famous for saying so, is is this, and I've used this phrase before, but God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Now, let's take that phrase, that concept, and let's apply it to 2020. So many times, we glorify God when we're enjoying the things he's giving us. God, thank you for this blessing. Thank you for this job. Thank you for this health. Thank you for this wealth. And again, none of those things are bad. They are God's gifts. But you start taking those things away. You start taking away health. You start taking away wealth. You start taking away prosperity. You start taking away status. You start taking away influence. You start taking away gifts. You start taking away all these things. And the very first thing that we do is we get upset. We say, God, I thought you Loved me. I want to glorify you, but but I'm not enjoying my circumstances right now. And this is why I told you we shouldn't ask God for a do-over of 2020. We should ask God for spiritual eyes to see what he's doing in 2020. And here's what I think he's doing. He's saying, listen, real enjoyment is not found in the things I created. It's found in the one who created them. Real enjoyment is found in God. And so let me ask you a question. What glorifies God the most? When everything is going right and you're worshiping him for all the gifts? Or when everything is going wrong and you're still glorifying him because you are enjoying him, not his gifts? See, when Paul says the phrase, to the only wise God be glory forevermore, what he's saying is this. God is after his own glory because God is after your and I's maximum enjoyment, which is only found in him because there is nothing or no one that will last forever than God. I don't know if I said that correctly because I lost myself in the midst of the thought process because I'm trying to communicate something here that's so eternal. Let me say it to you like this. If I can enjoy something that God created just for 50, 60, however many years I got, then that's a limited amount of joy. But if I can enjoy God who is eternal, like we said last week, he's the only one, he's the only wise God who never had a beginning, he never had an end, then if my enjoyment is in him, then I am good for all seasons. I'm good for every age. I'm good for every trial. I'm good for every year because nothing and no one can take God away. So if I'm enjoying God, then I have eternal joy. And so again, let me me say this. The main reason why you and I were created is because God was so good. He wanted people to enjoy him. That's why he made you. You say, well, why is this world so messed up? To prove one main point to you. There is no joy outside of him. And see, Adam and Eve didn't know that because they had never experienced pain. So why is heaven gonna be better than the garden? You wanna know why, I think? It's because we will no longer be like Adam and Eve. We will know what it is like without God. We won't have the ability now, Satan won't have the ability now to lie to us and say, hey, without him, it's better. We will be like, no, no, no. I know that without him, it's not better because I remember life of sin and decay. And death. I remember that. It's not better without him. It is better with him. And he made me to enjoy him. And the more that I enjoy him, the more I am glorifying him. And so when Paul says, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore, he is letting you in on what your ultimate purpose for existence is, to enjoy God. And when you enjoy him, you're glorifying him. And so then the question is, okay, well, how do I enjoy him? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look at the third section of the verse. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through. Everybody say through, talk back to me. Come on, through. You know I love prepositions, baby. Through Jesus Christ. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Again, this is what sets apart Christianity as a different altogether monotheistic faith. Through Jesus Christ. Let me say it to you like this. You and I can't enjoy God without Jesus. We can't enjoy God. We can't glorify God without Jesus. Why? Because without Jesus, God's wrath remains on us. And what does that mean? And we don't, again, I said this before, we don't like talking about God's wrath. And it's right now during the midst of a global pandemic, everybody's like, is this God's wrath? Is this God punishing us? And to some degree, I would have to, I would be remiss if I didn't say to you, yeah, to some degree, yes. But but I don't want you to, to overthink it and say, like, this is specifically his wrath. What I want you to see is this is just an element of how bad it will be eternally without him. So if it's bad now, if it's bad now. With our world without God, what would it be like eternally without him? So in some sense, yes, God does judge people. And and, and by judge, what I mean is, and Paul did this in Romans 1, he gives us over to what we want, which is a life without him. He's like, all right, see how it goes. And that's what happened. We've been experiencing that ever since Adam and Eve. But here's what I want you to see. When I'm talking about wrath, when I'm talking about where we are right now, the reason why we can't enjoy God without Jesus is because we don't get to the point where we are in relationship with him because all we're doing is experiencing his judgment. So think about your own relationships. Can you enjoy people who are mad at you? every wife in the room was like, nope. Or maybe the husband did to the wife or whatever. You're like, no, because when the relationship, when there's a separation, when there's something in between you and you're mad at each other, you can't enjoy the other person. And so when Paul says to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, what he's saying is the way to glory, the way to enjoyment is through the one who brought us back into God's favor, who took God's wrath, who took what we deserved on himself to bring us back into our primary purpose for being created, which is to glorify God by enjoying him. And so, when people talk about is Jesus the only way to God? Yes. Why? Because there's no one else who can satisfy the wrath of God and bring you into relationship for you to enjoy God. There's no one else that can take that. You can't take it. You're not good enough. I can't take it. I'm not good enough. Any other religious teacher who tries to get you to God through another avenue that is not Jesus Christ will never get you there. Why? Because Jesus stands alone. And this is what separates Christianity from every other faith system. Because, and I say this often, every other faith system is built upon what you need to do to get right with God, whoever that God is. But Christianity is built upon the faith system that God did what we could never do in order to get right with him. And he did it through Jesus. Let me give a reference here, Colossians chapter 1. You can turn there if you want. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, several verses, and it's talking about Jesus here. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, Don't be confused about the firstborn there. He's not talking about being created in the beginning, and he's gonna make sure that you understand that. He's talking about the firstborn of all creation when he was born into being a man. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, verse 16. For by him, all things were created, in case you were confused, in heaven and on earth which signifies there were things created in heaven against spiritual beings, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created. Now look at that next word there. What is it? Through, through him and for him. Why is through Jesus Christ the only way to enjoy God? Because no other person was also the creator. Jesus is the creator. Look at verse 17. And he, Jesus, is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. That's why I say all the time, I'm not the senior pastor. Jesus is. I'm junior. I'm nobody. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Talking about his resurrection. That in everything, he might be preeminent. Last two verses. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell And look at verse 20 here. And what? Through him, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, only Jesus can make peace with God and his wrath on our behalf. Because he's the only one who is God, who came and put on flesh and dwelt among us and made peace by making payment to reconcile and get us back. Why Jesus? Tell me somebody else who meets those qualifications. No one. No one else is the visible image of the invisible God. I mean, that phrase right there is mind blowing. I mean, the only way I can describe it, and you you can't describe the Trinity, but think about if if here you are standing in front of a mirror, and, and here you are, and in the mirror is your image, but the image that's in the mirror is an image of you, but it's not a separate person. Well, the only way we can describe the Trinity is here's God, the father, and here's the image of God, the father who is the father, but is a separate person as the son. So his image is a separate person, but his image is the father. This is why Jesus would say crazy things like, how can you say, if we saw the father, you've seen me, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So are you the father? Yes. But are you the son? Yes. And where's the spirit? The spirit is the one who is actually tra- is projecting the image. So you got the father, you got the image, and the spirit is the one who is in between, which is also another person, but is the one who is projecting the image. So give me another person who is the second member of the Trinity, the image of the father, the visible image of the invisible God who put on flesh and dwelt among us. That's why I told you last week, he's the goat. He's the greatest of all time. He's the only wise God. And you may think that his plans are horrible. Because you're like, if I was God, I wouldn't have done 2020 like this. (laughs) If I was God, I wouldn't have done it like the cross. I wouldn't have done it through losing. I wouldn't have done it through powerlessness. I wouldn't have done it through sacrifice. Well, you're not that wise because what shows greater power rising up and slaying your enemies or letting your enemies kill you and coming back from the dead and being like, you just thought you would. (laughs) Our faith is built upon God dying and coming back to life and slaying all other little G gods. So it's only through him. It's only through Jesus that you and I get to enjoy God because without Jesus, God is still mad at you. Without Jesus, the wrath still remains on you, Paul says. But in Jesus, he's not mad at you anymore. Like the great theologian Tupac said. That was a joke. He had a song, one of my favorite songs. I ain't mad at you. Guess what? In Jesus, God is saying, I ain't mad at you anymore. I ain't mad at you. Because the whole reason that you sinned because of your flesh, you had to understand that life without me would never give you an enjoyment. So I let you do that. And I also paid for it. I brought you back when you messed it up. I took the punishment that you deserved. So if you think 2020 is punishment, let that awaken you to realize that an eternity without him is way worse. And if you will, through Jesus, through Jesus Christ, come to the only wise God, then you can glorify him forevermore by enjoying all that he is for you. And that's why Paul ends this with amen. Amen. If you weren't amenin' me while it goes, something's wrong, right? Amen. And I've said this before, but the English word, amen, you wanna know what it is in Greek? Amen. It's the same exact letters, A-M-E-N, we just brought it over. And what does it mean? And I've said this before, listen to this, I love this. The word means a strong affirmation of what is declared. Truly indeed, it is true that whatever. I used to say this phrase, true that. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. That's true. Amen. And this is why Paul says in Corinthians that the, the promises of God are all a yes in Jesus. And now we utter our amen. It's true. We can enjoy God through Jesus Christ. And so as we wrap up this verse, this letter, again, like I said, I'll, I'll recap next week for a couple of weeks, but I want to drive this point home. God made you to glorify him by enjoying him forever because he's the only wise one. And then when you and I thought we were wiser and we sinned and we said, I'll do it my own way. He said, I'll still still come get you. I'll still come after you, I'll still take it on. And so if you've never gotten to a point in your life where you have said, amen, it's true that through Jesus, I can enjoy him. Then today can be that day where you trust Christ and be saved. But then those of us, again, as always that have trusted Christ, let 2020 remind you that if you have God through Jesus Christ, You can enjoy any season, any circumstance because you're enjoying God. Nothing can take your joy. No one can take your joy because you got God, the only eternal God, the only wise God. And if you got God, you got joy forever. And this temporary life that we live It's just that. It's temporary. And one day, he will undo all of this. He will raise us together with him to enjoy him forever. So please, as Jesus followers, show off to the world on your Facebook, on your IG, whatever it is, that even in the midst of the craziest season that you can ever remember, you're good because you got God. You got God, so you're good. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being the only wise God. We want to glorify you forever by enjoying you forever, but we know we can't do that without Jesus. It's only through Jesus. So we enjoying you by putting our faith in Jesus. And God, I know there's some people here today that haven't trusted Jesus and maybe 2020. They've been asking, God, where are you? And they've been confused because you haven't done what, you've, what they've asked you to do. But it's actually because you're wiser than them that you've brought them to this point of complete desperation where they had no one else but, but you to look to. And it is actually very wise for not letting us enjoy temporary things. To the point where we sacrifice the enjoyment of eternal things and so those today that you have opened the eyes of that they need to trust jesus i pray right now that you would save them again wherever you're at if you're listening to me and you want to glorify god you want to enjoy him through jesus christ then all you have to do is trust jesus confess with your mouth believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, paid your price, then you'll be saved and you can enjoy God forever. So if that's you, you can pray with me. It goes like this. You can say it out loud if you want to. You don't have to. But say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son Jesus in my place for my sins to pay for the price of of my sins, to reconcile me back so that I could enjoy you forever. I ask you to forgive me. I'm trusting in Jesus alone. Thank you for loving me. And again, if you prayed that today, we want to know about it. So you have an opportunity in just a minute to text us and let us know that you trusted Christ. But then again, for those of us who we would say we have trusted Christ, we're in Christ, but if we were honest, we've been so frustrated this year, so disillusioned this year, and maybe even mad at God this year because He hasn't been blessing us how we wanted. Maybe you lost your health, lost your job, lost somebody. That you loved. Been going through all kinds of trials in your own home. And you've been saying, God, where are you? And God says, I'm right there in the mess. I'm right there in the misery. Because I'm trying to show you that you can't enjoy any of this without me. So come to me, all who are weary. And I'll give you rest. I'll give you enjoyment. So if 2020 has beat the joy out of you, the mystery is that God was allowing that to happen to show you that your joy is only in him. It's only in him. And the wisest thing that he could do is to let you learn that lesson. It's painful as a father letting your kids experience pain, but it's necessary for them to learn a greater lesson. And that's what God, I think, is doing. So if that's you, you don't need to be saved again. You just need to repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. for trying to find joy in the good things you created and not in the creator. Help me to enjoy you. Give me eyes and ears and a heart to enjoy you no matter the season. Father, we ask this. It's a big thing to ask, but it's the greatest thing that you love to grant. Because when we ask you to help us enjoy you, that's a yes. When you ask us to glorify you so that we can enjoy you, When we ask you to give us that, it's a yes. And that's what we want, God. So God, I pray that even in the mess, we'll see the mystery that you're good and you're working things together for our good. So help us to enjoy you. And thank you, God. I can't wait for the day when Jesus comes back. Not just to take us out of this place, but to bring us to you face to face. Oh God, what a day that's going to be. And it will have all been worth it. So help us to to keep our gaze on Jesus, to fix our eyes on Jesus. And thank you for in Christ not being mad at us anymore. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.